Record. I was going to say Recorder League, the cider, but I'm like, do people know that? You know Recorder League, don't you? Uh, yes. You totally don't. Yeah, this is what I <laughs> no, wasn't going to say. <laughs> it's a cider, I think, from Sweden. Anyway, uh, welcome, everybody, to episode 19 of I Understood That Reference. <laughs> um, hey. How are you, Rob? Uh, I'm great. Doing very well. I'm off on a trip soon, so I'm excited. How are you? Tell everybody where you're going. This is mad. A trip for, for Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I'm taking a certain... Uh, Let's call it a, an antibiotic, and it's bringing me on a trip. I'm kidding. I'm off to Japan, Ross, if you can believe it. That is un-be-freaking-leavable. Mm. Yeah, so me and my dad are going over, doing a little bit of traveling, a little bit of soul-searching, a little bit of sushi-surveying, you could say. Nice, you got the alliteration down. And more I, importantly, I, you're going to yeah. see rugby. Yeah, so obviously Ireland are through the quarterfinals. By the time I arrive, we could be going home, which is definitely interesting. <laughs> that is funny, actually, yeah. <laughs> we, we'll probably cross paths for about that couple of hours, and then after it, they'll be saying their goodbyes. I'll be like, right, lads, best of luck to you. I'm going to hang on here for another couple of weeks. It was great seeing the Irish team at the airport as we arrived. <laughs> yeah, they're going to get on the plane that I'm getting off. <laughs> but yeah, it should be good. Um, are you off anywhere interesting? Um, no, not at all. Right, on with the show. But, uh, but, <laughs> Jesus, as it is October uh, and we're into Halloween season, are Uh-oh. you dressing up at all this year? And if so, as what? This is interesting because my roommate only asked me this about half an hour ago and I didn't have an answer for him then and I don't have an answer for you now. Uh, no, I, I'll probably dress up as something. Just haven't thought about it yet. I'm not good at I typically cobble together something at the last minute i enjoy halloween but um i'm often very last minute with the costumes uh, you, you had an absolutely fantastic Willy wonka outfit a few years ago that yeah. i do remember with a cane and everything so and i i printed out some laminated golden tickets I, I i filled every pocket on my person with full of sweets so that when i went in, went into the clubs i was just throwing all these sherbets and licorices and and uh, bassets Basset sweets around the place. It was Yo, you were a hound for the bassets. A basset oh, hound, basset hound. Might say. <laughs> <laughs> I actually completely and utterly forgot about the golden tickets. I mean, every time I say that you dress up as Willy Wonka and you say the golden tickets, it, it, I'm like, what? Oh, Jesus, you did. Yeah, Do you, you remember did. what was written on those golden tickets? Most certainly not. Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. It said, this ticket entitles you to one night with Willy's Wonka, I believe was the language on the ticket. Good Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> well, how about that for a movie reference, huh? <laughs> oh, let me tell you. Anyway, what are you dressing up as? Quickly. <laughs> uh, yeah, very quickly. I'm dressing up as Jack Burton from Big Trouble in Little China. And I'm a scrawny, uh, scrawny thing of a man, so... <laughs> going to be an interesting costume well he's been on the slim fast for the last couple of months you could say and uh he's slim fast it's literally it's jack burton from today not from big trouble in little china in the 80s it's, it's how he looks today yeah, yeah. <laughs> right that's enough crap out of us uh let's jump on in to our first segment of the show which of course is <sighs> you don't seem to say it anymore i've noticed because you're much better at it that's what I've learned from much this. Much better. It's just me making noises. 
But anyway, exactly. I've I, I tried too hard to get the words out where at this point, I think you just, you're just rolling your tongue around like a fruit pastel for a while. So. <laughs> yeah, you better believe it. And you got that R as well down. Right, so yes, um, Ross Fact, Rob Fact, from last week. Rob, let the people know, was yours true or was it false? Ross Naroon, if you can believe it, my fact was in fact false. Oh my God, I bloody got them all. We got them. Amazing. Every word of what you just said was wrong. That's right. North by Northwest was not the first US film to feature a toilet flushing. And to be quite uh, honest with you, I forget the right one. But you're just going to have to trust me on this. Yeah, I'm like, did you actually check it up? Because uh, or was it just your infatuation with uh, toilets flushing on the podcast that we've, we've talked about before? <laughs> it started with uh, just operating on toilet facts. I, I, I know, um, I, I know I, it's, it's definitely another Hitchcock film. It's Psycho. It's Psycho. Psycho is the, is the correct answer. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I did not know you had that prepared. I, I thought I was going to catch you out. But yet no. again, I've been proven the fool. Just down the drain, like the rest of your opinions. Essentially, essentially. Yeah. Uh, we'll brush that one off. Uh, Tyler, brush it off. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess that oh. means that my my Ross <laughs> fact from last week was true, which was that Ron Germany, Jeremy, the porn star, was in Ghostbusters, the original. And yes, indeed, he was. He was outside the firehouse at one point of the film. I believe it's just when the explosion goes off. Uh, you see him for like a split second, maybe just a frame. But what he is there. Ex- what kind of explosion? Um, it was the explosion for the ghost containment device that they had underneath when when Peck set off the. He got the guy, the cop, to switch off the the containment unit. All the ghosts burst free. Is this true, officer? Yes, your honor. This is true. This man has no dick. And then you're telling me there's a moment where Ron Jeremy walks by in the background, and then there's an explosion of sorts. And all this white gunk goes everywhere. I see where you were going with this. <laughs> uh, there it is. Can I highlight, uh, on when I put up the Twitter poll, by the way, um, people actually got it correct in the end. For a while, yours was leading, but Ghostbusters got in the end by 54% of people saying that was true. But I put the names uh. up as Flush by Flush West and Ghost Trusters, and that was the best thing I've done for the last three weeks, I'd say. <laughs> uh, I have to say, Ghost Trusters was just exquisite. I appreciate that, man. I really yeah, that do. Was really good. Like I gave it. A, that gave me a good laugh. So much so that when I returned to it, I'd forgotten. I like I'd looked at my phone. It had my phone had gone to sleep because I had been laughing so much. And then like a little while later, unlocked the phone and just I'm just met with ghost thrusters again on my screen, and I burst out <laughs> laughing again. Excellent. That's good news. That that's good for me. Yeah, and you're like Ross. Why can't you be anywhere near as funny as this on the actual podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but it's Halloween, and I'm going to now call this episode Ghost Trusters. That's it. One of the one of the people, Orla, commented on our the poll and said, "Just call the episode Ghost Trusters." So, Orla, for you, we will call this episode Ghost Trusters. Because mm. we know you're such a big fan of ghost trusting. Anyway. Yep, well, I ain't going near that. So, uh, right on to our next world famous segment, which of course is the Great Reference. Game. I put a bit of a Halloween special on your intro there. Heard, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna accentuate your your ghost special. <laughs> After what you just said about ghost trusters, the ghost special does not sound like something I want to know about. <laughs> um, you'd be surprised. Me and Ron, me and Ron Germany, we're having a great time over here. All right, okay. I mixed up his name earlier on. I get it. 
<laughs> but yeah, Ross, uh, you're on the chopping block. I've got a reference for you. Are you ready for a reference? Go, go for it. God, that'd be a great name for an album. Ready for a reference. You're ready for a reference. You like there? Yeah, you should write. <laughs> Sorry, I know you said the name of the album, and I immediately launched into a song. But look, <laughs> that's fine. It can it's be fine. one of the, It can be on the LP. It could be either or. Like we'll have a great time with it. Either way. Okay, so you ready? I am ready. I'm even have a pen in my hand. I'm going to write this down. Yeah, it's a good idea. Um, it's pretty long. So here we go. Oh look, a ghost cup. Okay. <laughs> and that's the end of that segment. Off we go. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. That is the end of that segment. Uh, yeah, okay. So today we're going to do a brief discussion of some big news items. Then we're going to perhaps maybe snip in and a little quick joke review. And then after that, we're going to do a little bit discussion piece and new feature. So Rob, let's jump into the news. Do you want to go first or shall I? Let's address the elephant in the room in the news cycle this week, shall we? Well, do it. I wonder which one this is, because for me, there's many. (laughs) Well, this one I can't ignore. So, Neil Patrick Harris has been cast in The Matrix 4. Have you heard about this? What? Yeah, I'm not joking. (laughs) Is this real? This is a real thing. Oh, okay. Jesus Christ, I missed that elephant in the room. I did not hear this. this This is pretty fresh, which is good for us. Yeah, it's uh, there's like obviously there's very little about the story right now. Obviously, the 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 the, 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 the generally more shocking element of this news piece is that they're making a Matrix Four. That's it. Um, Carrie and Moss and Ken Reeves they are back. So far, they're they're back to reprise the roles. No word on Lawrence Fishburne, uh, and they've also got this other actor who I think is in the Watchmen series, the HBO one coming up. He's also been cast in an un- undisclosed role, but now Neil Patrick Harris has joined the fray. What are your thoughts? What are your concerns, Mr. Anderson? Neil Patrick Harris proved he can play a serious character. He was in, God, I know I'm not going to remember the name of it now, Ben Affleck film. Gone Girl. Gone Girl, yes, okay. He was mm. very, very good in that as a kind of weird, weird yeah, psycho guy. Yeah, so I think he can pull it off, but in The Matrix, I mean, so this means he's going to have to do action sequences and slow-mo and stuff like that. Mm. And as as we all know, it's very hard to act in slow motion. That's work. That's that's already like that's how Zack Snyder picks all of his actors. Just the ones yeah, that yeah, slow motion. They don't have to be good at acting. They just have to be able to do slow motion stuff. It is a specific skill set. Yeah, particular set of skills. But I think it's interesting because I initially saw this and thought this is crazy. But then I kept I I had to keep reminding myself. But just this general Matrix Four malarc is also crazy because I don't know how Neo is reprising his role. Or how Neo is coming back because he, I guess he lives somewhere in the ether of the Matrix, but like he, his body dies at the very least. Mm. Doesn't uh, also uh, spoilers? Doesn't Carrie Anne Moss die at the end of the third Matrix film? Uh, yes, she's completely ripped to shred with loads of pipes. Oh, okay, Jesus, that was a strange way to say that, Rob. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Oh, by the I ghost trusters, was it? I sorry, that one I genuinely didn't mean. <laughs> Would you stop with the pipe and everything, Jesus? But yeah, um, are you, were you a big fan of the original trilogy, The Matrix? I lo- I love the first one, absolutely adore it. I think it is almost a, a perfect one and done movie that was somehow stretched into three films, which all managed to tear apart the lineage the first one had. Yeah, it's kind of annoying that the. the <clears throat> I I heard a great uh, so, obviously the first one is one of the most original modern and best uh, sci-fi movies you know ever the second one i've heard interesting to reviews obviously the story's been all over the all over the shop it's a subpar story but it's kind of like a five-star cinema experience is what i've heard you know in terms of just the spectacle and like how it kind of 
it elevated the certainly it built on the action of the previous one in like a crazy to a crazy extent like they built a highway did incredible car chases for real all the stunt choreography and everything the story let itself down but then not even the the sort of the the set pieces also then lacked as well by the time you get to the 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 third one so it lacks the story and the set pieces mm. so just it that's your point it kind of that's the trajectory of that trilogy where it, it by the time you get to the third one it's lost all the core brilliance that the original brought in the first place so it's the, the, uh, maybe they're trying to like salvage it i guess with this fourth one the, the original the end of it is so rounded it's so well-rounded and ending that it, it seems like well that's <coughs> the end of it and they had to do so much walking back of neo's powers and his abilities to keep up with that ending that it just makes the rest of the films seem really poor like he's essentially he's superman at the end of the matrix he flies he flies into the camera and you're like ah oh, it's a nice way to end a one and done action film yeah and instead we have this ludicrously drawn out trilogy which again has to go about lessening his powers and then building them back up again even though we just saw him gain the powers in the first place yeah so i guess bit, yeah to your point if they had mapped it out as a trilogy from the get-go Maybe he gets his superpowers by the end of the second one, and you then you're like, oh, I wonder what he'll be capable of in the third one. But to your point, it's just it's all over the place. It's kind of up and down, and then by the by the last one, it's just like a Super Saiyan fight in a rainy city. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you know. we almost had that already when it was Neo against the multiple agent Smiths too. So it's kind of again, how far can you one up it before it gets ridiculous? But yeah, like you said, making a fourth one, are they trying to? claw back what respect I had maybe hopefully and I hope they do because I do love the first Matrix film I will always stand by the first Matrix film mm. and the feeling I, think, I had yeah. when I watched the first one I honestly think though they're just like this is the era of remakes nobody can come up with an original idea studios are eager to get money and they're just like let's just revive a, a famous property that's just what's yeah. happening here it was this like 10 was a 10th anniversary or maybe longer that and they re-showed it in the cinema recently 20th. So obviously they were like 20th Jesus yeah. 1999 yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, I feel a certain age. Um, but yeah, so obviously this saw it did well and they must have been like, look, let's just bring it back. Let's just go for it. Come hell or high water. But That's Neil Patrick Harris, what, what do you make of that yourself? Are you a fan? Uh, I just think it's interesting that you brought up Gone because that's what I was kind of, I reminded myself of that as well. He's also, a, like, he's a good actor. I People keep referencing back to obviously that he started off in musicals and that also then like his big sort of, you know, claim to fame Doogie Hauser. It was Doogie Hauser, but also then, sort of as an adult, the How I Met Your Mother series, and that's yeah. I was totally gone for a joke with Doogie Hauser there. If yeah. I'm gonna be honest, <laughs> uh, I was going to mention Doogie Hauser because that's kind of what started it. But I think he's capable of doing it. I mean, like Keanu Reeves is very wooden in all the movies for the most part. So at least, uh, which I don't like dissing Keanu Reeves, but I guess that's just how that particular character played out. Also, um, also Keanu Fever, obviously help this as well i mean bill and oh, ted yeah. is coming back keanu reeves is everywhere now so john wick is dominating yeah. everything he's also in toy story he's owning even games conventions these days they're just right yes the keanu yeah. wave there it's, it's like point break the sequel except keanu is the wave that they're riding not the <laughs> brand. i mean they already made a remake of that so let's oh, hope shite, they did, again. didn't they <laughs> yeah yeah yes they did i didn't see it though and i don't ever intend to fair totally fair all right buddy what, what, what else have you got Interesting news-wise. Um, right, so I guess the next big thing is you've seen that the director of Venom has confirmed that basically the films are leading up to a crossover with Spider-Man and Venom, that the whole plan all along was to always have them face off in a future movie. Yeah, that's not true. Do you not think? I, I think they're lying. I think they definitely wanted to make an MCU similar to 
the MCU because it's so successful, but I don't think they always knew that it was always going to be Tom Holland's one. I'd say they were going to they were going to do their best to figure that out, but I I don't I don't believe it. I feel like they're just like, oh, okay, we've negotiated this now. Let's just squeeze Tom Holland into this. Honestly, am I right in saying as well that they're they're going to venture into the multiverse? I've heard whispers that that's going to, it's going to be a thing that Toby Toby Maguire could potentially be back along with. Uh, I Andrew think Garfield. this was what back before all this kind of Disney stuff happened. Did you just collapse in 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 shock when I said that? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I I just I I went to move my leg and I just belted it off the table. But continue. That's, Sorry, that's fair. Yeah, no, I think they were talking about it before all the Sony Disney stuff w- went into went into overdrive. It would be interesting if they did it, but I think again, like I said before, it'd be more a Spider Verse thing. I would prefer if they did that. Yeah. Like they were going to bring back Tobey Maguire in. Do you know the role that Chris Evans, not Chris Evans, what's his name? Uh, Kirk. Oh, uh, Chris Pine. Chris Pine. Yeah, it's not Chris Pine played Spider Man in into the spider-verse yeah he that was the reason he's supposed to be Tobey Maguire ah but he bailed yeah he backed out or something happened god I should have used that for a, a, a Ross fact anyway uh, yeah so they, until he bailed and I think that <laughs> how do we do it how do we do it just every time every time we shoot ourselves in the foot I think it's interesting that they can now take this approach after all the bad press but remember I said that I think was a bit of a stunt about Sony and Marvel but the Spider-Man fiasco this just seems like a great way for again them both to come out on top you know get Spider-Man constantly in the news cycle and now Venom is also constantly in the news cycle because of its relation to Spider-Man hmm but I guess isn't so yeah so what we were told the way, the way they've released the news I guess has been kind of tactical so there was all the furore about what's happened to Spider-Man then they're like not only is he back, but he's getting two movies. Uh, one of them is conf- is confirmed as the Far From Home sequel, and then like another untitled Spider-Man movie. So obviously, we can piece together that that fourth one is, you know, the third Spider-Man movie is going to sort of close off his MCU kind of phase, and then I guess the fourth one would be this intro to this Spider Verse or this interconnected Venom versus Spider-Man kind of situation. The Sony Verse, like yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I guess the question is: Will Will Venom feature? heavily in this third one or are they going to save him and just blast into the Sony-verse from the fourth one? I really hope blast into the Sony-verse because the Venom character is so bad that I just don't want him anywhere near the any of those good characters. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> that's a, such a good point. I mean, it sounds I bad. Near, I don't want near any of them. That's a fair but point. That's the truth. Right, that's it. I just wanted to touch on it because it was, again, pretty fresh and breaking. I don't think there's a lot to say about it because it's still fresh and probably, and it, like and you it said, is what it is. not true. Yeah. But, um, right, anything you got good, Rob? Um, I just, I'm going to mention it very quick. There are two things that we can just quickly touch on. Uh, but one I wanted to mention, mention very quickly since you actually brought it up about Gone Girl. Uh, that was David Fincher's last feature film. He's actually back. He's coming back. He's back, baby. Um, with a movie called Mank. M- Mank, yes. Good Lord in heaven! I suppose it is David Fincher. Right? What? Yeah. What would I expect? Do you have any idea what it's about? I have a loose plot point here. Do you want to guess? I, I think it'd be fun for you to try and guess what you think the movie Mank is about. Jesus Christ! Right, David Fincher, and it's called Mank. So I mean, it's it sounds quite similar to the mark we often find ourselves in, and maybe <laughs> that's what it's about. Is it about something about people's? past or some kind of history they have being dragged up and it's the mank or something i love he went with that because that's what i would have thought uh, no it's a biopic can you believe it uh, about the the screenwriter behind citizen kane herman mankiewicz oh jesus christ that is yeah. much less that is much less exciting <laughs> i know i'm i'm shocked 
Uh, Gary Oman is going to is currently ear, earmarked to play the title role, so I guess that makes it interesting. Lily Collins is going to be in it. Charles Dance. I literally just want to flag it that he's back, and I, I can't believe that this is the next feature movie he's making. This guy who's like brimming with ambition and these you know these interesting sort of original stories, but he's like like how interesting is this screenwriter that they're making a movie about him? I, this is there must be far more to this story than I realize. I'm not educated on this Mankiewicz guy or Hanky Manky, as I'm going to call him. The, um, but um, I just thought it was interesting that as you mentioned Colin Girl I was like I'm going to quickly mention this Fincher bit are you a fan? and also it's David Fincher so there is going to be some absolutely crazy crazy pieces to this story because oh, his films are just so odd and un- yeah always twisted yeah. and unusual um, did you see I'm going to get this wrong but Mul- he did Mulholland Drive right no, that was David Cronenberg. David Cronenberg. Ah, yeah, I always get that mixed up. But look, they're both kind of similar they're in their style. Very, yeah, kind of cerebral psychological thrillers. They both kind of venture into that genre, for sure. Mm. David Fincher is Alien Tree guy who never wants to be associated with Alien Tree. Yeah, Because exactly. of that, always gets mentioned. <laughs> and ever since you said it, that described it that way, I every time I hear Fincher, for some reason, I immediately go to Alien 3 now. I would normally it's, have associated him as obviously something like Fight Club. But it's now the Barbara Streitz end effect. <laughs> you want to stay away from something you don't want people to mention it and you tell them not to mention it so they mention it more yeah precisely that Fight Club is much better one to go there. good job with that <laughs> Fight Club 20 years uh, old as well as of this week apparently that was other news oh really okay yeah. then there's going to be showings of that everywhere I bet exactly exactly apparently there's interesting parallels between kind of how they were illustrating the men of the world back then and now kind of there's it's kind of almost come full circle a little bit in terms of this pit of despair we're in as a species. Nice. Well, that's that's my book, Dead Inside, remember? <laughs> I forgot. How is that coming along, actually? Oh, pretty good. I just write a bit every day about my daily life, and it just seems to seems to flow pretty naturally. Yeah, it's just your diary, basically. It writes itself. <laughs> You're going to like this one because you like your box office figures, but have you heard about the Joker box office figures and how well oh, it's doing? Oh, boy, oh, boy. It, it's, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. It's doing very well. Very, it has a well. shot at topping one billion in the box office to, uh, if projections are anything to go by. It's doing extraordinarily well, which I find extraordinary that it's that that it's that aggressively successful. I didn't think it would be so successful if I'm going to be honest with you. Well, it's already over half a billion after two weekends. That's that's great going in terms of how it's pacing. It, it's it's absolutely bulldozer and past logan is kind of what they were comparing it to in terms of that serious character focused superhero remake kind of a thing actually uh, pacing very similarly to venom it's interestingly enough <laughs> it one terrible movie it's like two films i wouldn't even put in the same sentence i know <laughs> but it's 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 certainly doing very well which is good to see i guess it's a superhero property so it has that mileage that's what's given it the mileage people are kind of like isn't this extraordinary joker is such a famous property um, so positive reviews about a Joker film it's going to get bums on seats I think. of course and and then on the flip side to that have you seen how absolutely poorly Gemini Man is doing yeah that movie's in trouble <laughs> I mean anybody who thought that that film was going to do well should just just give up on the old box office predictions <laughs> I predicted a cool seven people would go see it and it turns out I'm not too far off from what I can no, see he, I think you just forgot to count it that Will Smith would be there twice because he's the Gemini man. Because that, yeah, there you go. And one of them isn't really there. It's just a CGI character sitting beside him of himself. You know, they almost spent 140 million on this Gemini man movie. Outrage. 120 frames per second in entirely CGI'd Will Smith. Oh boy. What? 
it, God, this is it, it's funny how Hollywood is follow fo- like it it creates movies that will follow a particular trend. Like mocap when Avatar came out, everyone's like, we got to do mocap stuff. Now we've got this facial youthifying yeah, the technology. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's what it's called. What did I? Never mind. Don't focus on what I said. Yours is better. <laughs> facial youthifying. I apparently the the action in this is hilariously wonky. The CG is laughable. The dialogue is preposterously poor and i always find this very interesting because this is from a director who is so up and down it is absolutely extraordinary ang lee his incredible hulk is so goddamn weird <laughs> it's so fucking weird it's, why is it so weird like some of the panels they go like a comic book and they like they go all discolored and the page moves it is so strange but it's also a serious character study about a guy and having trauma as a child it is insane because he was trying to be he was trying to sort of take a, a fresh approach to the superhero movie which is ambitious but it none of it gelled so like you have that panel effect that you're talking about but then also that it is this character study which weirdly actually i guess is what the joker is but obviously it just stuck to that part as opposed to trying to blur the two yeah as opposed to going absolutely ridiculous and having page filters and color changes and frames in the panel but this is the same guy who directed Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Brokeback Mountain. Isn't that, isn't that insane? Life of, Life of Pi. It's the same. What I've realized is that he doesn't know how to do action movies, so he should stay away from those. I mean, some might say he doesn't know how to do movies in general, because what is happening here? Well, <laughs> 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 uh, look, you know, best of to him. Uh, yeah, but uh, interesting box office sort of side of things. Have you got any other numbers in there that you thought were intriguing? No, well, they were just the kind of two I was focusing on because I just knew Gemini Man would do poor. I just didn't realize how poor, and I also didn't know how well the Joker would do. So I think I do think it's an interesting trend. Oh, it's trendy and trending on the social. But um, who else have we got in here? I think Ace actually actually ended up doing pretty well. You'll be you'll be uh, because of Joker actually, buddy. It's now moved to the top ten for the year. So How to Train Your Dragon: Hidden World is now officially out of the top ten. That's bullshit. It got the whole way to October. Almost, almost, you know, halfway through the year, or, or, like only two and a half months left. Now it was going to get bumped by the likes of um, Star Wars, anyway. Um, the uh, the old last second ones is is it's so, it chapter two is in the top ten, is it? No, sorry, it's it's right behind. It's it's at four hundred and fifty million. So that's pretty good for a horror movie, you have to say. Mm. Mm. Um, well, there is a lot of flops as well. Alita: Battle Angel, they definitely would have hoped would have been well over <laughs> half a billion. God, Godzilla: King of Monsters, three hundred and eighty. That's very poor. Dumbo, Jesus. Men in Black, Jesus, Dark Phoenix, oh Lord above. God, there's actually been a lot of stinkers, hasn't there? A lot of stinkers, a lot of stinkers. But a lot you could t- you could see coming, surely. Like Gemini Man, Dark Phoenix, Dumbo. I know, but they didn't make them to be flops. Well, that's well. I mean, I assume not. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't seen Dark Phoenix yet. You you don't know for sure that they didn't make it to be a flop. <laughs> Fair. That's totally fair. You got one more news item to hit, and then we'll we'll bail on to our to our next section. Sure. Um. What else got? I I had to. Uh. I saw this on 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 Twitter the other day. Um. So I I I was like, oh, this is hilarious. Um. So the busiest man in Hollywood, uh, Taika Waititi, also seems to have time to catch up with old friends, because there's a video um of him bumping into Chris Evans on a press tour very recently because Chris Evans is promoting uh Knives Out by Ryan Johnson and he's doing Jojo Rabbit Taiko is and they see each other in like these this this media junket thing 
and uh, Taika Waititi just runs into uh, a curtain and yeah, uh, and he rips half the set down. It falls, it falls over. That's not really the news that I wanted to talk about, but I wanted to tee it up with that because I just thought it was fantastic that he's. This is a guy with these are the properties he now has year to year on the docket. Georgia he Rabbit seems like a great guy to be. Georgia honest. Rabbit, Thor: Love and Thunder, Akira, but also in between that he's directing a movie called Next Goal Wins. Have you heard about this? Next, I have not. Jojo Rabbit, Jojo Rabbit, is that what's called? No, Jojo Rabbit is the current one that he's released. Yeah, that looks that looks brilliant, absolutely brilliant, and I cannot. Apparently, apparently, so obviously, you know, it's it's he, it's like he went from Hunt of the Wonder People, which I highly encourage people to watch, to Thor, back to this kind of you know more grounded. I say grounded comedy. This is about Nazis. It's about Hitler, an imaginary friend of yeah, Hitler. Yeah, he, he plays Hitler in it. Um, apparently, this one's a bit more divisive. That apparently, a lot of the producers who watched it with him, a lot of groaning and <laughs> awkward squirms were happening as he was <laughs> during the screening, which is perfect because that's his personality through and through. Really, that's the kind of stuff he makes. Especially now between... because Disney owns Fox Searchlight. So exactly. So like, he is had Jojo come out this year. Thor is coming out in two years. But in between, would you believe it? He's directing another movie in between this. <laughs> Just fucking insane. Next goal wins, and it's going to star Michael Fassbender. Oh, no so, way. Yeah. This came out the other day. It chronicles the, the national football team of Samoa as they try to recover from the... They have this reputation of being the worst football team in the world. So it's about like how this new coach comes on board and kind of lifts them out of that slump. And Fassbender Okay, I like the, the coach, sound of that. that. And that sounds like something he'd have fun with as well. Exactly. I think that's... I just thought was, that was really interesting. But like, that's... How many movies is this back to back that he's doing year on year as a director, as a, currently, that's, and even the way he's doing Akira as well, because that's going to be whatever about the other projects he's done, that is going to be an absolute nightmare to get right. <laughs> I don't envy him on that one. Oh, I no. wouldn't touch that. I wouldn't touch that with a barge pole if I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, that one's going to be. Whoa, it's that's, a t- messy. that's that's the best way to describe it. It's going to be. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's it's steeped in this like. A Japanese anime lore, like how do you translate that? These things don't translate well. I feel to, like these beloved series and old animated movies, they don't really make the. It's hard to bridge that gap. Yeah, and Ghost in the Shell is as good as you're ever going to make one of them, and even that is only an. an what okay a brilliantly film. poor film that was! I the world building in that for me was extraordinary. Just the story and it was looked, poor. It looked fantastic. It was like like we said in Ad Astra last week. Oh my god, it looked incredible. I felt transported when I was watching that. Like, really kind of unique uh, world building. But, uh, yeah, it is what it is. Best of luck to him. <laughs> That's all I'll be- say. Best best of luck to him. I want to see him succeed because I really enjoy his movies. Like you said, super. Hunt for the Will the People is fantastic. Oh, yeah, yeah, if you haven't seen that. And it's with Sam Neill, isn't it? Sam Neill from Jurassic Park. And, of course, of course, uh, don't forget What We Do in the Shadows, which is also fantastic. And it even stars Taika Waititi. Yeah, brilliant. Um, anything else on the dock? Wait a second here now. Wait a second here. Oh, God damn it. I'm, I was, my brain was like, Ross, you've, you've already forgot what we've discussed. And I feel like that may have been something where the reference came from. <laughs> so I'm just going to have to try remember what exactly we talked about and then maybe go back to it. Uh, do, I'll just wait in silence here while you figure that out. No, well, no, no. I mean, we can move on. We, we, we can move on. So we, what we're going to do now is probably insert a very quick review from myself because rob hasn't seen it yet of the joker well i do some sound bites either side so you know exactly where to put it in go for it i'm gonna leave the sound bites in <laughs> yeah that, that, that's absolutely part of it uh, okay so this is this is for you to start 
to insert. So Russ, insert Joker review here. One small thing. Yeah. When you bring me out, can you introduce me as Joker? Hi everybody, so it's just Ross here as Rob has not yet seen the Joker. So I'll just give very brief thoughts and we'll probably touch upon it again on a separate episode. So first I'm just going to go through some overall thoughts of the movie. I thought this was fantastic. I really, really enjoyed it. There's so much to unpack within it and so much to unravel. But it's a very, very enjoyable film. Uh, the time flies by very quickly. It's it's fantastic performance by Joaquin Phoenix. There is a lot to like about this film and there's a lot going for it. What I have noticed is that there seems to be a big split in the critics. And it's interesting because I am also sort of split. And I will explain what I mean by that. There seems to definitely be a split between comic book fans and movie fans. It's interesting because people love this as a movie. And movie fans seem to absolutely adore it. But the comic fans seem to be finding issues, whether that's with the interpretation they've taken for the Joker character. And I seem to be in that category as well. The film side of me loves it, absolutely adore it, thinks it's a great movie, great character study, wears its influences on its sleeve, it's very Taxi Driver-esque, um, very King of Comedy, very Martin Scorsese movie inspired. And lots of scenes don't just hint it, they almost flat out recreate scenes that happen for instance his part in taxi driver where travis bickle obviously puts the you know the famous are you talking to me are you talking to me scene in the joker there's a scene where arthur fleck the joker checking phoenix has a gun and he's pointing it around the, the room of his house and you can tell he's doing the kind of similar thing where he's he's squaring up to somebody who's not there so there's lots of scenes like that there's, there's like fingers to head for guns to kind of shoot yourself so there's lots of references and they're not very hidden in any way and of course Robert De Niro is is in the Joker but the comic part of me the comic part of me is is finds issue with it as in they're trying so hard to stay away from any actual reference to comics and any acknowledgement that this is a comic book movie and it's it's to its detriment in a way people talk about how this is redefining comic book movies and it's changed the game and everything but this almost has nothing to do with a comic book movie if you took the name joker away from this movie and called it king clown and had every single thing the very same except for maybe change the name of the wayne family it would literally be the same movie that you wouldn't have to change anything for a character study and it would be no different so it's my it's my issue there that it's it's the character study is is very well done, but it's so well done that it almost is hampered by the fact that it's also a Joker movie. It sounds weird, it sounds like a contradiction, but that's how I feel about it, and that's how I felt coming out. Since the movie's been released, there's been a lot of talk about it. Uh, Todd Phillips and Joaquin Phoenix have given a lot of interviews, and that's also irked me in, in a lot of ways, because just saying things like, well, maybe it's not the Joker Batman fights at all, and maybe this is a completely different Joker. Well, the movie's called Joker... It's about the Joker. I mean, it is or it isn't the character. You can't distance yourself that much from the comic character of the same name and also still be that character. It's it's just maybe trying to have your cake and eat it too much. But again, that's not to say I, I think it was a bad film because it is very good. There's amazing pieces. There's The, the action is perfectly doled out. There's, there's not that much. It's it does not constant explosions or fights or anything. It's a very cerebral movie. It's very slow-paced. There's some absolute pieces of, of genius in it that I want to talk about, for instance. So Arthur Fleck is obviously a very, very troubled individual. He's very he's got a lot of issues. He doesn't know how to relate to the people around him. 
And one of the greatest parts is when he's in a comedy club listening to a comedian tell a joke. And he laughs at the wrong part of the joke. He laughs at the setup because he doesn't get what other people find funny. He doesn't, he can't put himself in the minds of others. I thought that kind of stuff was fantastic. I was really hoping there'd be more of it. There's some scenes when he's laughing with, with colleagues of his that he works with. And as soon as he walks out of earshot, he just instantly stops laughing. Things like that, which kind of show the, the side of him that's very unbalanced and very doesn't understand humans and other people around him. Unfortunately, there is also a kind of throw everything at the wall and see what sticks approach. And I think it veers into that a little bit later on. Again, I would recommend this film. I think everybody needs to see it in the cinema. I wouldn't be too worried about the kind of furore surrounding it, about will it influence people to do certain things or act in a certain way. Those people would have acted like that anyway. This film isn't going to change anybody. It does make the Joker character a little bit sympathetic. And again, my comic book leanings, I don't want the Joker to be sympathetic. I don't think the Joker should ever be understandable. I don't think his motivations should be something we can get and understand and sympathize with and think, well, maybe he was right or maybe this is the world that made him or because of this. I don't really like that take. The Joker should be this entity of chaos. There's some parts where he kind of takes revenge on people who've done him wrong and he says things like you were always good to me and spares people again that's you're applying a logic to a character which maybe i would prefer if was was Ill- illogical maybe that's just my leanings um but that's the comic book side of me that's definitely come out and that does seem to be replicated in the general media and how people are actually reacting to it where as i said i've heard of a lot of comic book fans not like it but a lot of movie fans absolutely adore it it's definitely worth seeing it is one I definitely enjoyed, and there'll be lots more to talk about. So when Ross, Rob, when Ross, that's me, when Rob gets to see it, we will probably talk about it again in a lot more in depth. But I just wanted to give my initial thoughts on it. It'd be great if we could hear from people and tell me if they agree, disagree, if I'm wrong, if they. I know a lot of my friends disagree on my take on it. They all of them seem to absolutely love it. But yeah, I think there is. It's an absolutely great film. Definitely worth a watch. Very inspired by Scorsese. Very inspired by. And kind of films that focus on character studies about a single person going into a state of, of disrepair and obviously there's no turning back and going down a path. Again, I loved it. Very good as a character study. But once it's the Joker part of it, the comic book side of me comes out and starts to have issue with sympathizing with a character like this. But maybe you can't have both. Maybe you can. It's made me talk about it. It's made me think about it. Definitely check it out, everybody. And we will talk about it more when Rob sees it. Now back to the full show. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ, and now, okay. And now to bookend it, even though we've already started talking again. <laughs> I don't even think the mic picked any of my laughter there off, so I'm just going to have to like edit the whole 20 seconds. <laughs> Jesus. Oh god. Okay, that was that was freaking golden. <laughs> right, so that was my Joker review, I guess. <laughs> oh, we got a great laugh out of it anyway. <laughs> oh Jesus. Okay, keep it together, Ross. Uh right, I guess then we're gonna move on to what we're going to call a new feature. It's gonna be some evergreen content that you can listen to this whenever you want. It's not based on time or frames or any particular date. Because we're gonna be talking about movies in the past and comics in the past and stuff like this. But what we're gonna do now is we're gonna really quickly talk about some 
some narrative choices used by storytellers in either comics or films or whatever, and why we think we're interesting and why we think they're a bit different. Um, and the reason I'm going to do this is because me and Rob were having a discussion earlier about The Last of Us and how yes. absolutely fantastic The Last of Us start is. Do you want to take this one, Rob? Uh, sure. So what backstory to this, Ross hasn't played the game before I have. All so right, man. I, don't I, wrap me out. I'm, so I'm constantly just checking in on him for updates and how he's enjoying the game. But we kept sort of circling back to how really the success of certainly your introduction to the game is built on this incredible opening uh, in terms of how they play out the characters. Will I give it away? I think it's been out for a while. I'm sure people have seen ah, it. Ah, sure. It's, look, the free PlayStation game. Every I was the last person who hadn't played it. And you're, so you're, like, you, you are the last of us to play no, it. No, nice. Nicely uh, but, done. Uh, <laughs> you're welcome. Essentially, it opens up with a father and a daughter chilling out the TV in, in their sitting room watching TV in Austin, Texas. Uh, would you believe? That's not abundantly clear, but that's actually where it is. That's really not an important detail. But within a few minutes something is just stuff starts to happen there's a news on the tv play in the background the story unfolds it's like this equivalent of a zombie outbreak which is the catch and the, the protagonist with his daughter are running to escape this essentially this fresh horde of zombies and they come to a, a checkpoint with soldiers with zombies on their tail one thing leads to another and of course the bitter irony is is that the soldier actually is the one that ends up killing the daughter not the zombies in, in this as they're in this last ditch attempt to escape but this all happens in the space of an extraordinarily intense 10 minutes, I would say, 10, 15 minutes of gameplay. Yeah. Um, and you're playing this escape. This isn't just cutscene stuff. And then it, it just hard cuts to 20 years later. Like you're left reeling, like the, this little girl dies in the, in the story and then this direction shifts to 20 years later. And you pick up as the protagonist weary and worn of the world that he's in, but you're still left reeling from what you've just seen and then you have to pick up and just play the game with his, like he's moved on, sort of, but you haven't. And that's such an interesting take and direction to go in to like kickstart the campaign proper. Like you're just left spinning. And after. it's such a fantastic, it just, the screen goes black, it just clicks and says 20 years later. It's And as a player, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> what? Ridiculous. It just catches you so off guard because you're like the entire, that entire, you know, minute and a half of kind of how it, gets, it builds up to this crescendo hits it and then immediately cuts just it's wonderful and I, because I was thinking of that I'm like it's such a great narrative choice to tell the story there and not to worry about the intervening 20 year period now, yeah. I'm assuming maybe later on it goes back and they hint about things that have happened and that's fine yeah they can reference it you... of course they can because they're not ignoring exactly. that stuff hasn't happened but they don't need to dwell on it basically yeah and it got me thinking of like other stories and other interesting ones that we want to talk about and we might keep this going for a few weeks but one of the ones that I wanted to bring up because I know Rob hasn't really hasn't read it or got involved with it but it's one that I've always been really fascinated by and I think has really changed the franchise is um, the Transformers hmm. so close to your heart close to my heart is right but the really interesting part of the IDW comic series is that there's a volume one or it's like a section one and section two. And when section two took over, it really just shifted the paradigm of what the story of Transformers was. Like if I was to say the story of the Autobots and the Decepticons to you, Rob, what would you think of or what kind of things come to mind? If, if when I think of Transformers in general. Yes. And well, obviously, so my exposure is unfortunately the blockbuster movies because they're the most common entry level forms of the of the series i now to be fair i actually was aware of the animated show when i was younger but not the the very old school one 
the one that kind of had the dinosaurs and elements of like when they started dabbling in you know computer generated 3d do you remember that Ah, uh, that was Generation 2 is what that was. Yeah, do you remember that stuff? That was wild. Oh, I remember. Quite literally, there were dinosaurs and tigers and all sorts of stuff. I've since looked back on that. Oh, oh sorry, that's not, sorry, that's Beast Wars you're talking Beast about. Beast Wars, Beast Wars. I even had the toys. The, I had the dinosaur, I had the, the, um, the T-Rex, who was uh, Megatron, I think. was. The he was T-Rex. Megatron, yep, there you go. Uh, so I had fond memories of them as a as a brand of toy. And then from a, from a viewing experience, the Michael Bay movies is my exposure to them. Did not know they were popularized comics until Ross told me. Oh, yeah. And the best thing about it is that even with the films, what people think about is kind of like, okay, the Autobots versus the Decepticons, they fight, there's a war, that's all the stories. And the best part of what the comics did in this, say, section two of it is that the war ends. And it's about how the robots readjust to life after this war that's gone on for like hundreds and thousands of years. Like, how do you readjust your life and how do you start to pick up and rebuild? And all the, the Transformers go back to Cybertron and they have to try and form a government and some of them can handle it and some of them can't. And then all like refugee robots start coming back to the planet because it's inhabitable again. And it just opens all these myriad of options that just weren't there in any Transformers stories before. And again, this is the reason I bring this one up is because it makes me think of comic books in general and how mm. stories are used and how the same narrative kind of things come back and again and again and replay and replay and replay. And this was such a dramatic shift to the paradigm that I hadn't seen anything really like it to such an extent before. And it's, yeah. I just think it's, I just think it's interesting how a story can change so dramatically. So there's, there's two comics, the comic series. There was one called Morton meets the eye and there was one called robots in disguise. One of them dealt with, the Transformers trying to stay on their home planet, Cybertron, forming a government, things like this, and trying to get the planet up and running again. While the other comic series focused on the other half of the robots, they would say the Autobots, who were just like, screw this, we, we fought for years, I can't get used to this, and they just go basically flying across the universe on adventures. And just the story that come up with that and the different things about how people hold on to ideologies and what people can't let go of the past and the, like, the psychological trauma that does does to people is just absolutely brilliant. And I hadn't seen it explored in such a good way in a comic before. I think what's very interesting there is what, as well, from an outside looking in perspective, <clears throat> I guess as a brand, they're nerdy afraid from a comic standpoint, or maybe not from a comic standpoint, but there's more cushion in comics because the readership is more targeted. But for... The uh, movies and the TV shows are like, oh, we can't get rid of the main Autobots everybody knows, then why nobody would go see them. But for those comic book series, by not doing the standard Autobots versus Decepticons and not and by, you know, moving on from the standard uh, protagonists and antagonists that we're used to, to these B, C, D list characters, they've actually removed the shackles of those kinds of story structures so that they can do those adventures in space and so that some of them can die and that they never return. It, just, it gives you far more freedom narratively. And probably that's probably why they're so interesting. It's it's amazing because you just touched on anything. Like you touched on it so much better than I could have put into words. And it's not fair because this was supposed <laughs> to be my part of the discussion. Rob, you, you son of a bitch! But I, no, I was t- trying to support your, what you were saying. No, I mean, you did, and you you nailed it. But it still, it hurts me that you you got it so right. But no, <laughs> like it is. That's exactly what it does because, for instance, the Morden meets the Eye one, which is my favorite comic book of the last twenty years, probably ever, to be honest. Since um, the Matrix was released, exactly, yeah. Since the Matrix was released, all those great Matrix comics that were out, because it has it focuses on C, D, E characters, it can do whatever it wants. And to say 
that it relishes in that is an understatement. It takes some of the characters in such unusual directions. I, I really recommend everybody who has an interest in comics and an interest in, in story and real character-driven stories to read it because some really crazy shit happens in it that you would not find in other forms of media because because the robots you can play around with things that happen to them like it's it's a run that lasted about six or seven years and it just gets better and better and better and even they nailed the ending so well and most comics and most movies and most franchises that try to do this can never land the ending they can never stick the ending and somehow this comic managed to do so which is fantastic yeah and it's rare i think to they're you know breaking the mold is hard to do and it's a risk Am I right in saying so this is obviously everything you? I only my knowledge of this series is everything you've told me. Is this the guy behind one of the, the very successful versions of that Transformers series? It was that his first foray into writing comic books. Am I right in saying? Yes, he wrote Transformers fan fiction beforehand. That's yeah, that's what it was. That's what isn't that of. mad? And your memory is fantastic, but isn't that absolutely crazy? <laughs> I I think it's I think it's I think it's crazy that. Because you think of fan fiction, you think it's all this mad shit, but nothing will ever come of it. But that guy has made a career out of starting there and now writing one of the most successful Transformers comic runs ever. And essentially, he just took some of his fan fiction and made it canon. So I guess it was good fan fiction. I guess some of it can be good. Who knew? Oh, apparently, the fans loved it, is, is, is what I know. Uh, Rob, one day, I promise, I will get you to read those comics. And they're always like so cheap on Comixology right now. Does is comic, Comixology, you just, you just buy them flat. There's just flat rate. You don't have, it's not a, a membership service. No, 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 no. no. You, can, you can sign up for a membership thing, but you don't have to at all. Ah, uh, okay. I might do that then. I think you should. Just really narratively and what stories can do and what can be done with characters, it is a perfect example. But again, just the one thing I want to highlight and we'll move off straight away after this, but just that narrative choice to take something that's so accepted as the way to tell that story, the Autobot Decepticon War is what you need, to just instantly go, nope, that's done, we're moving beyond that. It's just such a great narrative choice and I really wish more creators were brave enough to do that with established franchises bravery is the or the lack of is the downfall of a lot of shows where or and movies where they just decide ah look we could go with the risky option but that could affect the brand and box office the brand so, exactly yeah. so let's not do that then and it happens all the time rob it's your turn to suggest your one okay so mine is yours is a positive spin on in terms when it comes to direction mine is actually on the negative side and this is a very fresh example for a lot of listeners, I'm sure. And stop me at any point if you feel I'm, I'm straying too much into a spoiler territory. I'll try to keep this quite general. But Game of Thrones is what I've decided to opt for today. For a very good reason, because it, like this, the Game of Thrones for me kind of is the real watershed moment for when basically every kind of... The, the watershed moment for the really the big budget epic TV shows that have started coming out. Like, this is the golden age of TV, but... Game of Thrones didn't start it, but it certainly cemented it as that era. And you had this team of writers who just came up with, based on books, obviously, of course, so we have to recognize that, but they created this show, this 11 season run of some of the most incredible memorable TV. And it's so, such a global, global phenomenon that it had, and it had such ardent fans that they had to keep rising above the success of the previous seasons to maintain that interest. And they kept doing it and kept doing it right until the very last season which <laughs> and it's down to the direction not because the, the show lacked the budget or the quality cast or anything like that 
the direction they took from a story standpoint is what was what was it's hard to say downfall because if you take it as a percentage of how much of it was good it's like 98 percent brilliant and then the final few episodes really are are the wobbly ones i'd actually say though it is fair to say downfall because that show will be remembered for how it ended yeah um and, I, and there's kind of a and i run into one of this sort of from uh, have you seen game of thrones at all i have never seen a single episode but i know uh, most of what happens oh do you so I, I mean, like it's, it's kind of it's kind of hard where to start, but I think what's interesting is how the show was its rise to fame was because it was daring, it was unapologetic, it was like this is the world of Game of Thrones that you live in, and yes, it's violent, and people die constantly, even main characters deal with this. That's just what happens. They stuck with that direction that the books are so famous for, but kind of tightened the language, consolidated some characters, made kind of leaned into the political intrigue more so than. Um, the character dynamics and then when the violence was there and the big moments were there they were when they, when, they, when you were in those moments they were loud and bombastic and impactful but then it would be willing to step away and rest and breathe and then you realize the parts you actually enjoy are the conversations between characters that kind of thing and they built in that framework throughout the seasons and it became so polished right particularly reached like fever pitch by the sixth season and like it's, it was incredible TV like people like it was the most pirated show in history like one of the one of the most pirated properties in history, while also having one of the highest viewerships as well on HBO, like in tandem, which is just crazy. But when they ran out of book material, they started to play it safe. It's like the, the writers didn't have the bravery to commit to that kind of style. And also they decided like from, I guess, the seventh season onwards out of eight, right, now let's change the framework that we had that was such a success where we just killed characters ruthlessly and where you couldn't predict how it was, what way it was going to go everything became a little bit safe. People kept surviving. People, less, people, less main characters were, were dying, except for some main cast members that they just kind of offed all at once at the end of the sixth season. <laughs> and like suddenly you realized, oh, all the interest and risk that I come to watch this TV show for doesn't really exist anymore. Mm. And it's now not dominated by those great character moments. It's becoming more and more about the big action set pieces that it now has the budget for. And that last season in particular is just dominated by these very indulgent big set pieces, but they don't actually they don't they, like the 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 genius of a good set piece is that it also it it carries a story along in some way. The reason this happens is because a character did this and it leads to this. In one of the final episodes, there's just this continuous barrage of a dragon burning down the city, but you don't understand how it got to that moment. It just happens. It doesn't feel earned. It just feels like. A complete indulgent Michael Bay fest, which is... and for me, for me, action doesn't feel meaningful in any way unless, unless they've either, it. Yes, exactly. Or there's, or there's a character motivation behind it, or or something that affects a character. So. <coughs> they tried to in, they tried to lean into a character was affected, and that's what led to this. But they didn't earn it. It just happened. The character arrived at this decision too quickly. I'm speaking about Daenerys, who goes from hero of the people to mass murderer in the space of an episode, and it doesn't make sense. Like, I could see how she could get there, but you would need a whole season at least to do that. Yeah, and, it, like, and people, that was the big argument I think people were having online, is that people kind of knew she would end up there and knew that that may be in her future. But the problem, again, was the execution of how they did it was just so poor and lackluster compared to what had come before it. For a show that decides to kill off Sean Bean after its first season, you're expecting big things of, like, Nobody is safe here. They, they can make the right decision. But the writers, it's like they 
got fatigued and they didn't know how to invent new ways of playing these characters off each other. Everything became too easy. Everybody was every all the, all the dialogue was too safe. There was there was no there was less risk. You never really felt like people were actually in danger. And also just the sense of simple things as well, like you you would spend ten episodes in a season where one character has to get from the south of the country, the land up to the north, and it would take them ten seasons to make that journey. In ten episodes, the final season only has six episodes, and people are all over the map all the time. No <laughs> sense of time passing. No sense of progression. It like it just became such a mess because they decided that let's round out the show neatly and safely, which means we just have to. We're going to, people, the audience are just going to have to allow us these sort of this leniency in terms yeah of how, they're just going to have to roll with us basically which after cultivating such a reputation and this such is a, a problem yeah they'd established what they were capable of so specifically over 60 episodes that they just kind of threw it away and what i think is amazing is that it does and i suppose this is the, about the topic we're talking about today is that it does seem so it seemed like such a quick shift like everybody yeah. loved that show everybody rated everything and then the new series came out, the last one, and it was almost instantaneous. Like, it was weird. Every, the first episode happened, and people were like, wow, nothing really happened in that first episode. We've only got six of these, or seven of these. Why Why was that so much? Why, why use up a whole episode to just do not really accomplish anything? And then you realized it's almost like they didn't know what they wanted to do with it. So not only not necessarily a specific direction, almost directionless, you could nearly say. Duh. But listen, we don't need to do it because I know we just want to kind of touch on this topic, but I think that's a fascinating example of just uh, something that was created that was so what they were they were humming like they were just breezing through this the seasons with such quality to just end that way with that direction i thought was just crazy and i, I guess you, you we've probably opened a good box here as in we could this is probably a better way to do it to come with a positive example and a negative example of maybe where we really enjoyed how a story went somewhere and were caught off guard and then mm. how we thought a story could have gone somewhere differently Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's so, like countless examples. Just oh, honestly, we will have infinite many. Pandora's box of examples. But Rob, we're almost at the end of the show, but we've got a little bit more to do. We do. So this last one, of course, is your favorite segment oh my God. of the show by far. I, f- I forgot this was coming. Oh, this was this was always coming. <laughs> I'm actually kind of excited. I forgot All this right was then. part of the process. Rob, let them know what it is, so. We've added to our, our segments we now have a trio of world famous segments this is the one and only whistleblowers all right rob are you ready i'm going to tin whistle a movie team for you and you're going to guess what it is hopefully i think you'll definitely get this okay i'm looking forward to it fire away. ready or whistle away even <laughs> finish it that's that's literally all i have the next part gets almost impossible to play <laughs> that is the one on Indiana Jones. Yes. I've, uh, uh, a, a theme song very near and dear to my heart. Yep. It gets very, very oh, hard, as I said after that. But that was good, right? I, I need the, the resolution of that phrase. You are never you're getting, getting that loop closed in your brain, oh, my friend. God, my brain is aching. <laughs> Close the loop. Close it. I, I, you can do it, Tars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah, nice. I have in front of me a, a sheet that says four three two R five five four three three two one three one. That's all I got. So well done, buddy. You did it again. You played a tune, and I recognised it. Look at us. I'm go. liking the way this is going. Hmm. Right. Let's move on to our last segment then, and it's going to be very quick. Of course, it's just what. Of course, is the a uh, Rob fact, Ross fact. Ross, oh, I like that. Was very game show. I like that. Rob fact, Ross fact. Here we go. Oh, that, 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 
<laughs> so, my one for next week, the Rob Ross fact. You're Rob. I'm Ross. The Ross fact. I I can get this right. Maybe is that Jim Carrey was originally picked to play the Joker in The Dark Knight, but had to drop out due to other commitments. And the role was then, of course, taken famously by Heath Ledger. Wow. Wow. Okay. And next up, the Rob fact. Yeah, you got your name right. Yeah, it's an important part of the process. Okay, so here we go. So, Danny DeVito starred, produced, and directed the adaption of the Roald Dahl classic, Matilda. How about that? How about that, gang? Listen, learn, indulge. <laughs> oh God! Everybody's gonna hate me in my house because I'm laughing quite loud here. Well done, Rob. You're 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 making me laugh today. I could. I'm glad. Unlike usual, you little shit. I know. Um, we've done it. <laughs> well, hang on now. You haven't done it, Ross. You havenn't done oh, the one God, thing good, good Christ. you were tasked with. I'm going to give Wait you one quick here. attempt at this. Yeah, yeah, you got to give me... I actually completely forgot about it. Let me see, let me see. Do you want me to say the thing again? Uh, hold on a second. No, no. I understood that reference, I think. Okay. <laughs> that's Yeah, that's the name of the show. I understood that reference, I think. That's the <laughs> a podcast by Robin Ross. <laughs> oh, it's not, but I think you said it, so you did. Yeah. It, okay, I'm just going to throw it out there. Is it Toy Story? Toy Story? Oh, obviously not. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> this is going to kill you. This is going to kill you. So, what? you've got the reference written down there. Oh, look. A ghost cup. So, let me say it again. Oh, look. A ghost cup. We talked about this gentleman to the extent where you even referenced his character. The guy who says the very words that the reference is based. Are you serious? Yeah. We talked about this gentleman. Oh, it's, man, this is... I... Well, like you said, Tori Story, it's Taika Waititi in What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, look, a do ghost you, cup. Do you know what? That was my... That was my... I was like, I guarantee it's going to be Taika Waititi. Oh, God damn it. You know I can't say his name. That's not fair. <laughs> <sighs> I, God, thought, I, 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 I thought you had it because you, you brought in What We Do in the Shadows beautifully as we were talking yeah, I, I was like and i was like oh he's got himself there this is perfect i don't even need to bring this up that's and the then thing. i kind of went bring it up oh you son of a bitch you you brought yourself to the reference right there i played myself you you absolutely did look <sighs> you can't win them all that's now we, you didn't get the last one i didn't get this one that's not good for us that's not gonna it's not gonna help our score at all and look good I, I keep saying it, but i will definitely definitely count this up before episode 25 <laughs> and that's the big one we'll do it on episode 25 that's what we'll do a bumper we we ask each other an episode re- each if there's a tie break. Perfect. Or episode Perfect. of reference. But look, look, Ross, you didn't get it today, but as a duo, we did it in general. We got through the episode. We, we made it till the end of the episode, even though it's way longer than we planned again, but that's what we do. <laughs> there were some good discussions. It was hard to step away. There were some very the good discussions there. I enjoyed it. Not to pat ourselves on the back, but I think the listeners would agree that we did it. Some very good discussions today the, the listeners better agree that we <laughs> hey listen up listeners agree 
Right, so Rob, um, I just want to say a big thanks, as usual, to the guys at the Pod Nation group, because we're all really helping each other out with the podcasts and likes and the retweets and the conversations. So big shout out to all those guys. Um, Rob, where can people shout. find us online? People can find us uh, on a plethora of sources. So obviously you can listen to us on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, Podtail. <laughs> we keep mentioning that one because I adore it. And um, I know there's a couple others in there that you can bring up in a sec, but we've got the website as well, capunderstands.com. We've got an email address for us as well. That's the lads at capunderstands.com. And of course, the proprietor of our Twitter, at capunderstands, is the one and only Ross Chapman. So you can find him there. He's doing all sorts of fun games and competitions as well if you want to get involved during the week in between the episodes. How's that sound? Did I get everything? I know it sounds like I wasn't listening to you, but I picked up a pen in my hand and went to click it, and I just realized now there's actually a light on it at the top. If I press it in, it lights up. But that's <laughs> completely irrelevant. Rob, you did a great job. You you got everything. <laughs> well done, Rob. This is why you're uh, better at this than I am. I don't um, know about that. Look, we did it. We got to another episode. You got everything in. Thanks for everybody for listening. Thanks for sticking along. Hope you enjoyed our new feature and new chats and all the little bits we do. And we'll see you next time. So I guess all that's left to say is that I've been Ross. Uh, and I've been Rob. And this has been I Understood the Reference. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, everybody. All right. Have a lovely day. Jesus, we're out of there. Get up them stairs. Yes, he said it. He said it. <laughs> <laughs>Are you looking for some great indie podcasts to listen to? Check out the Pod Nation list on podchaser.com, where you can find a list of great indie podcasts, get links to their official websites, and even listen to some of their episodes without needing to create an account or log in. Here's an example of one of the great indie podcasts you can find on Pod Nation. I'm Mike Hall. I'm Jim Harris. I'm the fanboy. I'm the hater. Our podcast is The Fanboy and the Hater. Where we discuss the best and worst in movies, TV, and pop culture. We are available on all major podcast platforms. Including Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, and many more. Join us while we argue about the things that we love. Like Star Wars, superheroes, and science fiction. And the things that we wish were better. Like Star Wars, superheroes, and science fiction. So tune in to The Fanboy and the Hater. We would be honored if you would join us. It is your destiny. So once again, for some great indie podcasts, check out the Pod Nation list on podchaser.com.